Hey there, thank you for joining us. It's Less Than Jays for another week. We're in, it, it wasn't a mirage. Baseball is not just back, but it's back on television. You can watch baseball during the day, spring training, life is good. The Blue Jays making moves as, not as many as you predicted last week, Jake, but I, I said this on the two coffees on Friday, that you are somebody who's been saying the name Matt Chapman out loud for quite some time. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm extremely smart or that I'm extremely good at what I do uh, or that it's a good thing that I now have a Blue Jays podcast because of how frequently I'm right and how very smart I am. Uh, But uh, that's not for me to say. That's for someone else to say. But uh, the good thing is it did lead to the Blue Jays acquiring their platinum glove third baseman and Matt Chapman. Not, I will admit, despite the fact that I have been saying the name for a very long time, not at all the move that I expected the Blue Jays to make this offseason. Did it. Went ahead and did it. Addressed it. Third base, question answered. Matt Chapman is playing third base basically every day. Almost, almost always, it'll be Matt Chapman. Uh, very, very exciting. And that hand-in-hand with the games on television, it's been a joy. A joy Watched to be back. Watched a baseball game today. A joy to be back talking about the Blue Jays. There's so much to get to. We have uh, spring training overreactions to, to immediately bestow upon uh, both good and bad. We have, of course, as I said, Matt Chapman trade to break down. Uh, plenty of more rumors coming out in the last couple of days. Jose Ramirez, basically, I mean, the leaks are are basically just every week they're telling you exactly what the trade's going to have to be <laughs> uh, if you're reading through it. We'll talk about that as well. So much to get to. Jake, how is your week? How is your wife? Uh, week was good. We had a lovely little trip this weekend to Ottawa. We went to a music show and saw our good friends, the Wilsons, and their lovely son, Finn. Uh, yeah, we had a great time. We drank, we ate, we sat on a train. Uh, it was really nice. It was nice to get out of uh, town for a little bit. I haven't been out of town since September, and just to sort of shake loose the 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 cobwebs that come from lockdowns and the world we live in. It was nice. It was yeah. really nice. Really nice weekend. That's great. We are out. How are you? Got a little, How are you? Got a little vitamin D ourselves. The last couple of days have been pretty nice. Uh, we went out. And, we went out and got photos taken, and those maternity photos. My wife looking beautiful, looking all pregnant. We are having a good time. Yeah, things are good. We, we although literally about an hour before we came on the air here, just about burnt our kitchen down, which would have been a real, <laughs> would have been a real not a great time to lose uh, our oven. And <laughs> the pretty way we, happy. We cook things. Pretty happy for you that you didn't uh, do that. Narrowly avoided crisis. Narrowly avoided, but. I played a, I don't want to use the word heroic role, but I played a, I played a important role in immediately, well, I'll tell you, our, our stovetop was accidentally turned on while our air fryer was momentarily placed in a stovetop position. What else can I say? Uh, and it <laughs> melted and you get, you melted rubber and plastic, basically a, a melted liquid of rubber <laughs> on top of your stove uh it, it it was very smoky uh but i picked it up and carried it outside got it out of there quick and 
and you're gonna wipe down the basically just wiping down the stovetop over and over again until it's not soot craziness craziness but uh barkeeper's friend and, and some sponges and some towels a little elbow grease everything is hunky-dory now but it was touch and go thank goodness we were in the room when when that happened because it's very easy we could have very easily filled our bowls and walked away if things had happened uh you know two three minutes faster well uh that is yeah, those things are always kind of i know i was making dinner tonight and knocked uh one of our knives off the counter and it landed like next to my foot uh, obviously I'm fine, but as you say, those things are just like, wow, those could have been a very different evening had, uh, had things gone differently. Could have gone super, super terrible for me and immediately altered a very, very large portion <laughs> of the future of my life. Yeah. Losing your kitchen right before a child comes is probably, probably not ideal for many, been, many reasons. Bad. Would have been bad. I, I don't know the total physics of it, but I'm pretty sure a plugged-in air fryer starting on fire is... It, uh, <laughs> it, it gets bad after that. Yeah, I don't think... I don't I don't think it would have gone... Like, I think you caught it at kind of the last yes. time. I, I can show you, a, show you a photo of the way that the base of it melted, how, how quick we were, how close we were to melting through the wires. And once the, once the wires are melted through and it's plugged in, then you're in some trouble. <laughs> Well, here we are, thankfully, not, uh, de- well, we're doing a show, so I assume that yeah, everything's like, fine Yeah, now. doing a show, period. Exactly right. I would, it would be no, it'd be no show go on this end. I'd be, it would, it would be <laughs> deep, I would be deep, 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 deep down in a well, be in no place to be talking about the Blue Jays. But luckily, of course, we did avoid that. So that's my, that's my massive anecdote for the week. All this happening, uh, update on my wife's pregnancy. She's... We're into the 38th week. She's pregnant. Very pregnant. You're getting there. You're so close. <sighs> yeah. you, I know that we sort of talked with this and you want, and you know that your due date is right in and around opening day. Right. Do you want, like, do, do you have an opinion on? Uh, I've been saying open day the whole way. That's yeah. Saying. Yeah. It just seems you, like it's right. It It does seem like. What could be more appropriate than for you and Melissa to have a child on opening day? Uh, anyway, as we said, lots of baseball to get into. So we are going to start. I think we'll start with the Chapman trade because that's pretty interesting. And I want to get your take on it as well. Uh, we're going to do that in just a second. Jake, last week, I mean, listen, it was we came on here, we did Yusei Kikuchi. Thank goodness we did do Yusei Kikuchi because Matt Chapman trade sort of engulfs the rest of the next of the week. Uh, <laughs> talk about the infield. You sort of like, we got Kikuchi in, we talked about the rotation, basically done. Uh, it, now it's all what the moving pieces in the infield and the outfield, the lineup, as you said, uh, as you said many times, and as you said off the top of the show, a guy that you had your eye on and sort of were bringing up many, many times when we sort of started our conversations with Jose Ramirez and then would eventually get ourselves around to a point where it's like, okay, if not him, then who? And Matt Chapman was somebody that I think was almost always your first pick 
of who you would want. And uh, a guy that doesn't certainly doesn't stop you from going out and getting Jose Ramirez still. It's, they're not, they're not, they don't appear to be like, oh, they have Chapman and now they're, they're strapped. It's Chapman is hopefully complimenting another aggressive piece. Everything, everything we're hearing, they've been very aggressive. So, uh, I did a little. I did a little. Fifteen minutes on Friday. I'm sure you have plenty to say because this is a. I think very quickly going to look like an incredible addition to this already very fun roster. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up sort of the uh, Matt Chapman versus Jose Ramirez kind of idea because obviously, understandably, Blue Jays fandom has been gripped with Jose Ramirez fever for the last. I don't. Know, I guess a year and a half now but especially the last few weeks. And I thought it was kind of funny how last year, watching this team basically screaming to acquire, if not Matt Chapman himself, then someone like Matt Chapman. And then because of all the Jose Ramirez hype and everything, it kind of felt, after they acquired him, I don't want to say like a letdown, but it was kind of like, oh, well, that's not the big bat we were expecting. I think we had all sort of gotten worked up that the, I guess for lack of a better term, the Semyon replacement was going to be the big first move uh, on on offense. Not that Matt Chapman isn't potentially great offensively, but obviously he's a defense first guy. Uh, and it was, it was kind of funny and I guess uh, privileged and a good problem to have and a good sort of uh, summation of where the Blue Jays are as a franchise right now and going into next season that there could even be an inkling of letdown by literally acquiring the best defensive third baseman in the world. And, you know, it's... I don't want... I don't want to sound like I'm disappointed in this move because let's be honest, they gave up nothing for yeah. him. Well, Can't, I mean, there was most recent first round pick, but yeah, basically the rest of it is like, but like that's hypothetical at best. At this the guys point. might be major leaguers, but they're probably right. not match. So, and to your point, it doesn't preclude them from making another move, say for Jose Ramirez or Ketel Marte or a second baseman, basically, uh, or the, another big bat to add to the lineup that's not Greg Bird but uh yeah I I it's it feel it felt like a very odd trade to me in the sense that like when here we go episode two second comparison to 2015 when <laughs> the Blue Jays acquired Josh Donaldson from the A's in a very similar deal it was like there it is there's the last piece uh to finally get, yeah, you know, we didn't, I don't know if any of us expected him to have the year he did in 2015, but it was very much a like, this is what the team is missing. Uh, I don't know if I feel that way about Chapman. Really? I mean, obviously defensively, it is literally what they are missing because as we discussed last week, the third base play last year was average at best. But I don't know. I feel like I'm, I am, uh, comforted I suppose by the fact that he hit a home run already in his first spring training game and the fact that he and seems like the popular narrative around him is that his hip was to blame for sort of his offensive decline last year and now he's feeling better 
And obviously, if you get, you know, 2018, 2019 Matt Chapman at the plate, everything I'm saying here is completely incorrect. And I am hoping that's the case. But I still feel like this team's not complete, even with the addition of Chapman. Interesting. Which is not to say I'm not thrilled that the Blue Jays acquired Matt Chapman. Because he is absolutely the kind of guy this team needs to take that next step. Especially as, as we saw all of the defensive miscues last year uh, on, at various parts of the diamond. And you've seen how, uh, I, I forget who was talking about, but how in 2020 uh, and 2019, Chapman's presence improved Marcus Semyon's defense at shortstop in Oakland. And as Bo is so young and only got better defensively as the year went on last year, we all remember what he was like at the start of the year. And he got significantly better defensively as the year went on. Having Chapman beside him is only going to help that. But I feel like I'm sort of talking myself... I don't mean to sound so down on it, because I'm not. But I feel like because of sort of the... The way that other teams this offseason have been building their teams, specifically in the National League, specifically your Braves, your Dodgers, etc. Not that the Blue Jays aren't a great team, not that they are potentially currently the best team in the American League, on paper at least. But I, I just want, I want that big, big lad who just smokes baseball's ad. Whether that's Jose Ramirez or someone else, I just, I really, I'm, I'm hankering for that, you know, one through eight in the lineup. There's just nowhere to escape. Like, I, w- I want Matt Chapman hitting eighth and that being a great. You know what I mean? Sure. I think, I think, yeah, I think they're closer to that. Interesting, interesting, interesting points, interesting points there. I think I maybe expected you to be a little more excited about it. Then you ended up being, but that's good. You're keeping me on I my toes. I think I did too. Yeah, keeping me on my toes. But uh, I, I think, you know, it's a it's a matter of mastery of him at, at third base. He's he's really like your. It, it, it's the perfect thing that they're going to get here, as you said. As it isn't, it isn't like a, a a completion of the puzzle piece, but it is it is such a such a such a relief to have the the question answered about third about a position. I think they have. Pretty close to. I mean, you talk about the Semyon replacement. I, I, I feel like going forward, uh, that's something to keep an eye on this year, next year. Uh, Semyon versus uh, the production you're getting from Matt Chapman here, where he'll be in the lineup, the sort of where he'll be as a, in a ballpark, where he'll be in terms of pitchers looking for some some at bats that they can that they can sort of turn their brain off a little bit. Because the first four or five guys absolutely tax them with with high stress pitches, I I think he's going to provide and very quickly I think watching him play he's a day in day out brilliance guy where watching him play every day it'll sort of soak in where you're just like God damn this is this is living how did we live how did we live without this this sort of I think similar <laughs> to you made the, you made the Donaldson comparison um, people were excited about Donaldson I, I would say I don't know that he was viewed I don't I don't know if I agree that he was viewed as the missing piece right away when he got here I think people were excited about him but uh, you know there it was like it doesn't push them over the top I, I I think it was like a they got a they got a good deal here and he's exciting but I don't think we expected him to be the MVP and sort of do as everything that he did. So I think he has a potential to be like that, a guy that we sort of are are 
talking in optimistic but also measured tones about that ends up really very quickly being a guy that you're just like, oh, never mind. Having this around every day <laughs> is uh, is special. Yeah, I think you re- you brought up a good point there uh, as well with the uh, just like the notion of stability and how important that is and how last year, you know, obviously the middle of the infield was locked down. Uh, but for other than Bo and Semyon, and I guess you could say at the catching position, uh, everything else was, and I guess Vlad at first as well, everything else was kind of in flux a lot of the yeah. season. Some of that was due to Springer's injury. Some of that was due to the fact there wasn't a legitimate third baseman on the roster at all. Uh, some of that's due to the fact of the defensive liabilities, let's call them, of Teoscar and Lourdes. Some of that is due to Randall Grichuk being on the team. But it's... I, I think that your point about that stabilizing presence and if Chapman is healthy through the year and if Springer is healthy through the year, all of a sudden we're not looking at lineup cards trying to figure out who's going where on a given day and trying to and I think that's important for serious teams because serious teams in every sport this isn't just a baseball thing you know you serious teams have their starters for when they need them and they know exactly what they're doing and not serious teams are scrambling more often than not I think and I think Chapman's arrival locking that down and not having the who's playing third base today conversation uh, will do a lot of good for the team beyond Chapman's obvious ability and uh, play on the diamond. Now, going to get Jose Ramirez, that's pretty okay with me. I want to state that for the, for the record as well. <laughs> <laughs> for the record as well. Uh, listen, the chatter has been not subtle. Everyone, you don't know, I don't know who's feeding it out, but they are feeding it out constantly that Cleveland is watching Alejandro Kirk basically every time he arrives until he leaves and what he does. And the Jays have, I gotta say, featured him pretty prominently throughout their early games, <laughs> making sure he's DHing or catching. He's made, he's made, uh, if scouts have been watching Alejandro Kirk, the, the, the very short spring audition he's doing, has been exactly what Alejandro Kirk does. Surprisingly good arm from behind the plate. And then just sort of sits back and hits little line drives all over the park. That's sort of what he does. Uh, Cleveland gets that look at him and, and sort of gets to, gets to salivate on that for a little bit. The other piece I think that um, gets thrown into trade conversations a lot, Kirk is one, and, and Nate Pearson obviously is the other. Uh, I think I know how you feel about this, but I think I'm feeling a little bit like I want to see what Pearson becomes more than I expected to. Even though, even though it's very early, and I know we watched him pitch today, and he threw 99, uh, as long along with curveballs and and the, and the off-speed stuff, and it was a perfect little example. I just can't help but think, like, the difference between Pearson and and even Kirk is that Pierce, what what Pearson can bring in value this year is really important to the team, versus like Kirk is sort of. If you had everything and you could go get the guy that you needed without giving up Kirk, then you have like unbelievable. You, everybody can hit one to nine, but like you can get rid of, you can move on from Kirk if it brings you that star second baseman, and it's literally like the ninth, the ninth hitter is 
Danny Jansen and maybe fucking Moreno. Like that's that's a little bit of all right. You can you can live with versus I think I think if things go okay for Pearson, he can be a, a useful in the way that that Stripling was useful last year or can be a guy that that comes in and and you know really chokes the life out of teams that the Jays are, are up on by a few runs, comes in and just demore. Like, you know, the way he sometimes goes through innings where it's like he goes through five guys uh, in, in in like, you know, 20 pitches. And you're like, well, that was exactly what we needed. Perfect. Um, I think I think Pearson has more value than I think a lot of the, some of the fan base that were pretty low on him. And I think us included uh, were feeling recently. So I will acknowledge everything I've just said for the last 20 minutes. Regarding <laughs> Jose Ramirez. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I wouldn't trade Nate Pearson for Jose Ramirez if it came down to it. However, I do kind of agree with you. And I don't know if it's because I watched him pitch this afternoon uh, or just the notion of pitchers and the more pitch- good pitchers you have, the better off you are. But I kind of agree with you, and I, I don't know what the issue is, though. Very clearly, as we talked about last week, Cleveland's looking for quite a haul for Jose Ramirez, as they should be. Super team-friendly contract for two more years, and he's literally Jose Ramirez. So, but I and I know that Bayerga mentioned that they wanted Biggio, uh, or Biggio was involved, and obviously they're looking at Kirk, and obviously any of the sort of, I assume, at least one of the three prospects in the top 100, Moreno, Elvis, and Groshans, would be involved in the in a deal for Ramirez. But I don't really know how you get the deal done without including Pearson. It sound, from what Bayerga said in his lives last week, Cleveland's looking for two major league-ready players. Obviously, Kirk and Biggio are both major league ready players that would sort of solve that quota it, but, I mean, if they're taking kirk but if they're taking kirk and exactly Kirk, it's like that yeah. that does technically fulfill the quota but that doesn't feel like i, th- I think i agree with you it's, it's almost like they, they would they would want bgo and pearson or kirk and pearson with yeah the the extra picks the, the little prospects that come with that would vary depending on which one of those two it was sort of centered around. Exactly. Um, and I think I, as much as I love Kirk, I can easily stomach losing him, especially if they're not giving up Moreno going the other way. Cause like at that point, I don't, don't know if he's there this year, but he seems he's the seventh ranked prospect in baseball. Like, yeah, I would, I'd be, I would be, I'd be surprised if Kirk, if, if either of Moreno or, or Elvis was, was in this deal. Mer- I would too. Arelvis, <laughs> talking about, you're talking, we're going to get into the spring in a minute, but you're talking about spring overreactions. You're just like, well, you can't get rid of, you obviously can't trade this guy. For- <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, I think that's, this is maybe a better articulation of what I was saying about Chapman earlier. Uh, and I hope people haven't turned this off disagreeing with me before I got to sort of articulating my thoughts a little better. The Jays are in a really good position here with or without Jose Ramirez, because now we're going through all these guys that, in a vacuum, of course we would trade for Jose Ramirez in a second. Right. But we're also going through this and looking at him being like, you know, I don't know if I want them to trade Pearson. I don't know if I want them to trade Aurelvis. You know, you can't trade this guy. You know what I mean? So I think the the Jays really somehow have found themselves with 
uh, quite the treasure chest of things to be moved. That being said, you know, you add Jose Ramirez to this team without giving up too much of your major league roster. So let, let's assume Kirk is part of the deal because it seems by all I mean, accounts. Yes. Yeah, to, to, I agree. To jump in quickly, you are right that like get, trading Pearson and Kirk or Pearson and Biggio doesn't, doesn't, doesn't eliminate them from uh, contender status in any way. It doesn't like really dramatically affect their number uh, in, yeah. in any, in any way. Whereas having, you, th- you figure having Ramirez just does. You, Pearson would be a wonderful luxury and a guy that could be really important this year. But now, now removed from my own take, now I'm like, wait, did I just become the guy who says <laughs> it's a, we, if they can rely on Nate Pearson, then, then they really have a chance to be special? Sometimes sometimes you got to recognize when you have to get off that uh, get off that horse. Yeah, and look, we've been, you and I have been talking and rooting for Nate Pearson for a long time now. And I think I genuinely I think he's going to be a good major league pitcher. I don't think we're I don't think we're talking, you know, Daniel Norris and uh, you know Anthony Castro and some of the other guys they traded in 2015. I think Pearson's going to be a legitimate major league pitcher. I don't know what what exactly that ceiling is, but I think he's I think he's a legitimate piece. But that being said. I, I can't sit here and say that I wouldn't trade anybody in the organization in a package for Jose Ramirez to add to this current team. Because then you're talking about this team last year who played half their season outside of Toronto. Didn't have a home game till wherever it was, July. Uh, Springer was hurt half the year. And then, and then they didn't have a real third baseman. And they still missed the playoffs by a game. And now you're talking, you have to trade a catcher and Nate Pearson and a couple prospects. And all of a sudden, you have now replaced Marcus Semyon's offensive output, probably and then some, let's be real. And you've added Matt, literally Matt Chapman at third base. And you have more or less an equally good starting pitching staff and a much better bullpen going into the year. And you can't, if you had Jose Ramirez to the team, you can't look at the Blue Jays and say anything, but they're the American League favorites. Sure. And I think sometimes in our excitement in the recently, and we'll move on to the spring here in a second, in our recent excitement in laughing at some of the things that other teams in the American League East do, we'll talk about, you know, story, we'll talk about the Yankees' direction uh, and, their, and everybody else in this division. You know the Rays, obviously. They always end up find a way to win to win way more games than they should. When you look at how they feel, so I you were right that that you it, it would be still a successful offseason to come out of it with Chatwin, but I think the time is right to really ensure that everything is covered because to sort of put a cap on the idea of the Semyon production replacement. Really, what you need to do is replace the production of Semyon and the third base. Right, you sort of. What, what what was Semyon plus Biggio? What was Semyon plus uh, Santiago Espinal last year? If you can do that right. with Chapman and whoever you're waiting to play second, you can you can do that. You can you can fill that hole easier than you can just say, okay, we're going to get another second baseman who hits 45 home runs like we did last year. Um, <laughs> right. But boy, oh boy, Jose Ramirez, you certainly have to like your chances to do that. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about spring training and spring training early impressions, overreactions. We'll get to it in just a second.
All right, Jake, it has been a pleasure to sit on the couch in the afternoon with the laptop and have the Toronto Blue Jays on my television the last couple of days. Obviously, absolutely soaking it in, absolutely letting it hit me like sunshine, putting it on putting it on the radio on my phone and going on the on the balcony and shuffling off the last snow of the winter and getting ready for spring was a beautiful thing. Blue Jays are three and one. You have to love that. I mean, they're just a, a threshing machine. We got our first look at Chapman. We got uh, Aurelvis Martinez prospect showcase time. We got Greg Bird as offensive storylines and, and pitching wise. We have seen uh, Pearson, Manoa, Romano, Kay, Merriweather, Biagini, Richards, Meza, and uh, somebody else who pitched before. I think there was a TV show before it was televised. Uh, a lot has come out. Boy, I have watched. Not a bunch, obviously. This strange writing still by the fifth inning. You're sort of tuning out. But um, what has what has been your early joy in the J- Blue Jays spring training season? I mean, based on the hype around this team going into spring, you would be hard pressed to script a better start than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just absolutely massacring a baseball. (laughs) Perfect way to perfect way to start the coverage on the year. And man, they they pulled an unbelievable ratings number the other day. I saw that. I saw that. Like five hundred thousand some for a spring training game. The hype is real. Unbelievable. But uh, yeah, I mean, other than just the joy of having baseball on again, uh, obviously. Vlad and Chapman are the, I guess call them the main highlights, just because of who they are and the hype behind both of them in their own way. Uh, I th- actually, I think a great way to sort of illustrate the hype around the Blue Jays outside of those viewership numbers is the fact that the news that George Springer is barely going to play in spring despite the team insisting repeatedly that he's fine, is not really making the discourse, which I think is very interesting. <laughs> we think so. We think so much alike. We think so much alike <laughs> that we have this overwhelming, like everything we could possibly want to eat in front of us. It's like, damn, Springer's not playing, huh? That's <laughs> probably nothing. <laughs> Just like, yeah, they say he's fine. It's nothing to worry about. Why would, why would he have to play? He's fine. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Run that by me again. He's he doesn't have to play because he's not injured. Right. Yeah, he's 100%, right, right. man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm glad you bring up George Springer um, because I was listening to the, to the fan pregame show. Uh, Blake was on for the, the fan pregame show. And I was like, I got to see. I got to hear this. And when they were talking about Randall Gritchick, because Randall Gritchick, along with Biggio, we talked about in the last segment, one of the guys that, you know, when you're when you're pointing to the 26-man rosters, you probably have, depending on your opinion of him, he's probably somewhere between, like, 20th and 26th, uh, depending on how much you care about relievers. But he's the offensive player that people seem least attached to. But the reality is somebody has to be able to play center field if... George Springer isn't around. It's just sort of it's, as much as you may want to come up with any any reason that he gets kicked off, you have to then also add a center fielder to the roster. So um, I think that's sort of interesting got interesting thing. And I also sort of had was struck with the thought is that if Randall Gritchick was left-handed, I think people would be like, oh, thank God we have that. You know what I mean? That's really interesting. Think of exactly the same player as Randall Gritchick, only left-handed. And you're like, ooh, intriguing guy to have around. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's just Corey Dickerson. 
if Corey Dickerson could play passably in center field. So yeah. Uh, yes, I guess that's side of that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the... Unfortunately, that's a, that's a classic. If the, if a bad thing was good, you'd probably like it more. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess that's... I've seen you make this argument on Twitter, and I've sort of quietly made it to myself as well. That's sort of this argument around Quetel uh, Marte, maybe, yes, over yes. Jose Ramirez. I, I don't know. I genuinely, I, because it's been pretty quiet on that front... Uh, I have no idea what a package for Kento Marte would look like. I don't know what Arizona's shopping for. But I, despite my zealotry about Jose Ramirez, <laughs> it is hard to not just like look at Kento Marte and go, maybe it's a better fit. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna find your way. My prediction for you is you, you find your way to wind yourself back to <laughs> where you started. Which is that Kevin Biggio should be playing center field. You're gonna you're gonna get yourself there. <laughs> oh, buddy, if he's not traded for one of these guys, Kevin Biggio, full time outfielder, is absolutely happening. Full time, full time is a stretch. Full time outfielder. We so, have we have Santiago full. Espinal now. We don't need Kevin Biggio spelling guys in the infield. We don't have full time positions in the, in the outfield <laughs> up, up for grabs. Uh, not it's one of the things that isn't you know. But well, he is sure, left-handed. The DH, have, the DH spot hand-handed. will be taken by Greg Bird, so you're right. There won't be much, much so, left. Yeah, the, so, you know, the, the talking point, if you will, that everyone has sort of brought up, and, and I'm sort of uh, not sure where I stand on it because the, they're very right-handed heavy is sort of the thing. Berg, There's Berg. two sides to that, of course, is that they were incredible last season against right-handed pitching. <laughs> so <laughs> on one hand, they're the second-best team in baseball uh, against right-handed pitching last year. So, not too worried about it, but also, um, they don't have any left-handed bats. It's 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 really something. And and some of the you know late and close was famously sort of the problem last year. And right-handed relievers with with velocity can be some something that that sort of shut down a lot of the games. Remember, they would be scoring it well, and then then we get into the late close games, and they would suddenly not be able to produce uh, with the righty power relievers that seem to be everywhere nowadays. Greg Bird playing. In a, DH first ba- in a DH first base role. What do you think? I mean, I don't know. I have two minds of this. On the one hand, in 2015, which is not that long ago, Greg Bird truly looked like a guy. Like He looked like a player ready for to be the Yankees' first baseman, basically, for the of the future. Uh, he had an unbelievable rookie season. He played 46 games, OPS 871, 135 OPS plus, 11 home runs, 31 RBI. And, you know, then he just kind of, dis- he got hurt. It took him out of the 2016 season. And then ever since he came back from that injury, he has been, uh, let's say, not good. <laughs> yeah. uh, couldn't even crack the Rockies last year. Uh, although we talked about this last week, he did hit 27 home runs in AAA for the Rockies, which is encouraging, I suppose. I mean, that's sort of, given it, his profile and who he ex- is. That, yeah, exactly. So is, you know, we don't have the worst year of his life, probably. So, <laughs> so I have two minds of this. One, I think that he's a guy who at one time in his life was a legitimate major league player, even though it was only for 46 games. 
And we've all seen guys get hot in their rookie years at the end of the season and not turn into a piece. The Blue Jays have had like a hundred of those guys. On the other hand, he is a guy who has done it in the majors before. On the other, other hand, it's spring training. Yes. <laughs> and I am reminded of the name Gabe Gross, who had an unreal spring for the Jays in either 2004 or 2005. And that did not translate to success in the major leagues. That's Gabe Gross of the career OPS plus of 88. <laughs> despite hitting, I believe, eight or nine home runs in spring one year. So the cat agrees with me. Yeah, but, go off, uh, he says. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that I'm in, I would say I'm quietly intrigued by Greg Bird, but I am certainly not sitting here being like, oh, they solved it. Right. Do we, do we, I'm trying to think, you know, I'm, I'm, you're trying to sort out, you're trying to sort out the roster spaces and who then isn't on the roster um, that you would think would be on the rot on the roster. Like he definitely serves sort of potentially, potentially he serves the role that I think we all hope that Rowdy Tellez would serve last year. Sure. And also, the other point, though, is as we're talking, if the Jays do add that extra offensive piece, whether that's Marte or Ramirez or someone of that ilk, is Greg Bird even necessary? Well, no. If, if you're if you if you're adding if you add to this, then Greg Bird isn't necessary. No. Yeah, because like, he's not a guy who's going to spell anybody at any prime positions that they don't already have on the roster. No, you would hope that he you would hope that he clears through and you could you could you could keep him around. I guess I guess geez, I guess the looking at it looking at the roster, it's like actually there's probably a good, pretty good chance he does break camp with the club. There's sort of I, barring there, a trade, I think he does. There's 10 there's 10 guys you're you're sort of locked into with your with your starting nine uh plus Kirk is sort of your 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 deal there with your starting nine has Teoscar at DH and Gritchick and Wright and then you have Boy, Espinel, Palacios, Bird, and Kirk on your bench. I think, uh, I think I would. So, so you know what? Sort of talking about this, talking this through now. I, I also looking at this. Don't think the Jays are are done. I think we're looking at that. That bench is is it doesn't jive with the first ten. The first ten guys. Mm. Uh, it doesn't jive with that, that 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 bench is a team that wants to be where they want to be. Um, like the Palacios spot is is pretty upgradable as well. I think. So there's some space here. So I think Greg Bird, I think you're right, is is going to at least get a shot out of camp to do the, the as Rowdy Tellez would get out of camp. Uh, the great person you just made there of he's going to get like a month um, to be a part of the offense and see if he puts something together. Yeah, I would I would definitely say that I am absolutely not sold on Greg Bird being a legitimate major league piece for this team. But I would be lying if I didn't say I wasn't intrigued. He physically looks like one. He does. He does. And I just, I don't know. It's, it would be re, it would also just be really funny if Greg Bird figured it out for the Blue Jays. Justin, we're going to Justin smoke this thing. It's going to be the same. You look up and you're like, yeah, that Greg Bird is a, is a responsible professional <laughs> uh, veteran hitter. He'd say, like, wait a minute. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess so. That's, uh, you know, guys, this, this sticking it out, this, this second run, the post hype, uh, yeah, into it. That's a good time to move ahead. We're going to get to your voicemails and the mailbag in just a second. 
All right, Jake. A a a trio of voicemails in the in on the in the line this week. Very exciting about that, and a pair of we have a pair of good mailbag questions here for you. Um, Added Value wants to know, what are some realistic expectations for Kevin Biggio this year? What's the floor and ceiling? I want him to be part of this team as a contributor, but is that realistic? That's from Added Value. What do you think? What do you think to start with? Man, I don't know. <laughs> my my gut says no. I, I don't know. I don't think... I don't know if I think Kevin Biggio is, is good enough anymore. I think Kevin Biggio was good enough for 2020. I don't know if he's good enough for what this team is trying to do this year. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think what I would say about Kevin Biggio is not that he is not somebody that has – like he's a valuable guy depending on where you are. So I think similar to your point you're trying to make. It's like a, a team that need, that has a lot of holes they need to fill, that has a lot of things they need – um, that has a that that has a lot of different things and, and need a guy that can do them all fairly well. He's he's a value in that way and can provide, um, you know, one to, one or two wins as he did in his in his previous seasons. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe as high as maybe high as a two two and a half and be a three win guy. He could be he could be that good for. But the 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 difference right for a team trying to take that next step is turning those like guys that are two and three and, and, and sort of fringing and turning those into great, as we've been talking about upgrades for to get to the Jose Ramirez level to sort of take your, your next step. And I think, you know, there's a chance that he has value and helps the blue Jays as that absolute end of the roster guy that can fill in anywhere and, and be uh, somebody that you're just sort of pinch hits at any time or, um, you know, you can make, different decisions on the diamond because you know you can bring in BGO to back up to, to play second base or to play first base or to play third or to play in the outfield you sort of you need a guy that you could fill in anywhere at any time um, but I think for a team trying to go from 76 to 78 wins or 78 to 80 wins I think he has a ton of use there I don't know that he's the guy that takes you from 90 to 92 if that makes if that yes makes sense, right? I think Those, that, I think that's entirely correct those two, those two wins levels, and, and where the Jays are trying to go now, right? Which we sort of the, the thing we were alluding to earlier in the show is, I think we were sort of, sort of in a in a grand way saying the Jays need to go from now, sort of the the ninety two win true talent, to let's go to ninety five. Let's push to, let's get another great pitcher and go to ninety seven. Right? We sort of they're in that territory now versus. You know, how do we get anything going in a positive direction? Those team that need the teams that need any they position to have just positive versus you know being replacement level and below. He's a guy that can help out there. But I don't think if you're trying to field an optimized team where every position is a guy at, at his absolute strength, I don't think he is outplaying anybody at any position in the, in the dream version of this team. Yeah, I think even if you look at Bijou compared to Randall Grichuk, who neither of us are high on ever. Uh, but Grichik does have defensive pedigree in the corner of the outfield. Not as an everyday center fielder. My God, absolutely not. But in right field, Randall Grichik is not a terrible outfielder. And I'm not, and obviously I'm on the BGO outfield train and have been for a long time. But like to your point, when you're trying to go from 90 to 92 wins, you need a guy who you're not. There's not a lot of experimenting. 
I think, on those kind of teams. And there's not a lot of seeing who you have. There's a lot of knowing who you have. And I think that might be Kevin Biggio's biggest downfall is that even as we're talking about this, we still don't really know what we have with Kevin Biggio. And I just don't know where that fits on a team legitimately trying to win the World Series rather than just trying to make the playoffs or improve or whatever. That I would being love, said. I would love yeah. to be wrong. I would love to be wrong. That being said, could he play a bunch of second base on a, on a, on this version of this team and be ve- and then and then be very good? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Could he could he be the second baseman as he was in 2019 in a hundred games and provide two and a half wins? Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely within realm of possibility, and that's helpful for sure. That not to discount that, but I think- I mean, hey, again, not to always tie it back to the 2015 team, but Ryan Goins played 128 games at second base for that team. Yeah. So and that I, I, is yeah. like accepted as the best Blue Jay team of the last however many years. And you got 128 games of a guy who slashed 250, 318, 354. So I think if, if Chapman's offense claws back up to where it was pre that this hip injury, I don't think it's wild to assume that a platoon of Espinal and Biggio can be effective at second base for this team. Yeah. You, you wouldn't be asking them an awful lot except to be, you know, to be sure to do what you do is, is have uh, draw out at bats and, and sort of just sort of uh, try to have good at bats. But um, the other side of that, of course, is is down at the bottom of this powerful lineup. Teams are just going to just attack it, right? Sort of is it'll be yeah. different approaches to his at bats is that he won't he won't be uh, able to be as sort of crafty as he would be if he was early earlier on in his career when he was sort of a surprise guy in that lineup. But uh, a good question, and sort of there is a the floor and ceiling there. I think I think we've seen in 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 his two full seasons here in Toronto. I think we've seen what his floor and ceiling is. I think I think his floor is sort of a utility bag guy who doesn't have a position and, and is is about replacement level, but can can draw his walks. But maybe the lack of uh, pop is going to limit. You know, the thing about plate discipline is is eventually you have to be a good enough hitter to. Uh, Earn drawing the walks, right? They have to have a reason not to throw you strikes. And 2019, where he w- where he w- had, a, had quite a bit of pop, uh, and and you know that allowed him and and the, the walks that he drew to sort of become a pretty valuable player and and play a reliable second base. I think if he can become a a, a good second baseman, which he graded out to be in 2019, he could help a team. So I think I think that's probably his ceiling. I don't know that it's the ceiling is ever like all star. Maybe 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 a one time but i don't think he's a perennial all-star guy yeah i think that's i, th- I think i think useful role player is bgo's ceiling hey guys this is paul uh congrats on the new show so happy for you guys and so happy to have you back in my ears uh just wondering what you guys know about matt chapman not as a baseball player but more as a dude um what his vibes are like uh, I can't really find anything about him on social, um, and I assume that uh, Atkins and Shapiro wouldn't have picked a guy who would mess up the team's kind of chemistry, but his hair cut kind of makes him look like a cop, so I was wondering if you guys had any insight. Cheers. Bye. Uh, yes. I, you know, it doesn't seem like a very active poster. He seems like he is a... Uh, you want to go go about the, the sort of the professional kind of guy? Sort of, he's the like comes in and and does the work and goes home. But maybe the, maybe you're sort of 
um, just looking at a, a regular looking white guy and just assuming that's what <laughs> that's what he's like. Yeah, <laughs> Matt Chapman. My impression of Matt Chapman is that he is a white ass third baseman. Yeah, is, <laughs> his he, like yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know enough about him to know his. He seems like the kind of guy who, I think, judging by his like hello videos or whatever you want to call them that the Jay's social media was posting. He seems like the kind of guy who's going to try to fit in with the vibe guys. And it's going to be hopefully endearingly awkward. It could be a lot of fun. I think that's true in terms of like what he, what his social media is like. Um, he just faves good news about his teammates. He just loves his, he loves his A's. He like he knows Ricky Romero from there. They went to the same school, Cal State Fullerton. Um, so he knows Ricky Romero pretty well. And then it's just faving news about his former teammates. Cause he's a, obviously he's a, a, so it's all his, it's basically you go back, it's all his former teammates being traded one by one. And then it's uh, <laughs> guys who either are in or, or, or were in the, uh, A's organization, uh, tweeting out good news. So, so that's, that's good. So that's, I think vibes. Yeah. I think, I think vibes are going to have sort of, uh, I think he might get into it. I think it might end up, it might it might end up sinking in. I think he might the, the mustache we saw him have in A's camp. I think he might uh, become a guy that like low key dry humor could be sort of his thing. That sort of I feel like you know how last year we talked a lot about how George Springer was clearly a thirty year old hang with a bunch of twenty two year olds. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like at, like Springer at least knows that vibe, even if it was very much like how do you do, fellow kids. I think Chapman will be that, but even more awkward. But in like in a funny like, I'm part of the gang kind of way. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my that's my initial impression. And I think, I think people are gonna love uh, his just defense. I mean, pitchers love it when a guy is a good defensive player. I think O is going to enjoy playing beside him. As you said, sort of the colliery, um, the Boba Shet story and the Marcus Simeon story are not that different in terms of Simeon was a guy that you heard talked about getting moved off of short a guy that had a ton of throwing errors early in his career a guy that went struggled with a lot of the things that Bo struggled with as a shortstop in terms of um, you know he can make a, he can do a lot of great things but the sometimes the sort of the everyday thing of being a shortstop would just his athleticism almost works against him sometimes he's almost too athletic and and sort of overdoes some things um i think chapman's gonna be a great calming influence for that and sort of as i said on, on friday like bichette's not gonna have to move to his right basically at any point yeah i thought it was pretty telling that you know the first quotes to come out about chapman were guys like manoa being like openly admitting that he's stoked to have chapman on on the left side there Hey, Jake and Zoobs, it's Andrew and Kitchener, sitting here in between meetings, thinking about Cattell Marte, as one does, and uh, just wondered, which do you think is a cooler type of baseball weirdo, a switch hitter or a knuckleballer? Thanks. Oh, switch hitter, for sure. Switch hitter, for sure. I think uh, I think the, the knuckleballer fraternity that exists, uh, which we obviously had learned about uh, ad nauseum when we had R.A. Dickey here is one of those things that is like cutesy until you have a knuckleballer on your team. And then you're like, I don't care about these old nerds. <laughs> 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 I care about these old nerds 
who have trying to trick the game, uh, being able to switch it is almost unthinkable to me. It's that's like, that's exactly why it's my answer. I I have been playing baseball my entire life, and I cannot for the life of me hit from the other side of the park. It's, it's amazing that the, the ability to hit at a major league level at one side of the plate is astounding. The ability to hit at a major league level from both sides of the plate. <laughs> right. How is that? How is how did one person even have that? It's sort of what I always come back to with switch hitting. How could how did how could even one person in the league switch hit? That's unbelievable. Several people, fairly regularly. That's incredible. And well, and well, it's not even like they they can do it and just like smack out a couple singles. There's guys who can hit from both sides of the plate consistently. Jose Ramirez. Stop with Jose Ramirez again. It's a supernatural talent. It's a supernatural talent. While knuckleballers are a bunch of dorks who try to pitch until they're like 46. <laughs> and when they get when they get taken deep, they get taken a trillion miles deep. When our, our, you, get, you get taken like 470 foot <laughs> bombs regularly. That's sort of your game plan is a bunch of guys strike out and three guys hit absolute tank jobs off you. And you win 4-3. 5-4, sort of 6-4. Sort of uh, so infinitely cooler switch hitter for me. And uh, that's it for the that's it for the mailbag. Thank you for the questions. Uh, if you want to get on the mailbag, remember to hit us up. And we would love to say hit us up. People say hit us up all the time. Uh, <laughs> it's on Twitter. It's at <laughs> at less than Jays on Twitter. It is eight three three seven one four seven 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 four to leave a message like our excellent guests did this week. That is it for almost everything here on the show. We have one more thing to do. It's time to take this to your grave. Right, Jake, the week is over. You have your opportunity now. Last week, you you said that Jays would make more than three moves by the time we talked talk next. <laughs> I was listen, third, listen. a third right. They made a big deal. They made a big deal, and they moved more than three players. So maybe that counts. Uh, the Blue Jays. doesn't have to be about the Blue Jays. It can be about anything. Jake, what do you have this week for your take this to the grave? My take this to the grave is that the Blue Jays will make a trade this week. Ooh. But it will not be the big one. Not the big one. So you're thinking of like a depth a depth pickup here. Yeah. Outfield, infield? Outfield. Bench, I think picker. I think they will add I think exactly you're saying that the bird slash palacio slot. Right. I feel like is prime for an upgrade. Left-handed outfielder, having got, got losing uh, all over myself here, losing Dickerson quietly, sort of like a thing. You're like, oh, if they had, if they just had Dickerson, you sort of everything's, yeah. everything's that that percentage easier. But yeah, D- Dickerson type, I think, is a is a good way to look at it. Maybe above average bat, left-handed outfielder. I think it's not a crazy thing to think may be added in the next week. Jake, very very heavy prediction. I like that next week. Uh, boy. Take this to your grave for me this week. Uh, take this to your grave for me this week. Very difficult. Is I I think I think we're going to see a continued sort of fever from people to not move 
uh, Nate Pearson. I think what I talked about earlier, earlier today, mm-hmm. that's going to become the prevailing logic. I think we're going to get deep enough into this where people will be like, you know what? He's actually going to have a breakout year. And I think he's going to get people uh, believing. And we'll see. What I think it's already ha- it's already happening. I can already see it. I think that's I think that's what's happening. I think we're going to get that. And God, the Nate Pearson in spring training. How many times are we going to do this? I mean, <laughs> it's not exactly proving my earlier point, but it's also not not proving my earlier point. Very interesting. Now I'm talked all the way around on it the third time. Now I'm like, all right, now they have to put him in there. <laughs> you have to put him in the Ramirez trade now. You have to do that. Get it. Get this this weight around my neck off. Holy jeez. Uh, there you go. Take this, take this to your grave for another week. I. Uh, I feel like I, I feel like I could have gone stronger. I'm gonna take it to the grave, Jake. Really That's do. okay. I think I could have as well. It's it's we're we're still getting into the swing of things here too. It's our it's our spring training as well. That's true. It is still our spring training. Um, yeah, I just man, I'm sh- shaken up by the by the almost burning the kitchen down. That was that was pretty. I think that's fair. I think that's entirely fair. I think my pretty take it to your grave is thank goodness my kitchen didn't didn't. <laughs> thank goodness your house is not on fire, literally and figuratively. That is absolutely right. And thank goodness it's another episode of Less Than Jays. We appreciate you for coming along for the ride, listening to the show, being part of the community. If you want a little more, you know where to go. Uh, and you know how to do it. Patreon.com slash Less Than Jays. We will talk to you again uh, next week here on The Big Show and probably probably a little, a little snippet on two coffees on the weekend. Uh, and if you are in the mood for a little more, Patreon.com slash Less Than Jays, you get uh, the Where We've Been podcast. We... we if you didn't think we talk about our personal lives nearly enough here, holy cow, we got half an hour of us absolutely dumping uh, a real tra- a real <laughs> trauma dump, a real half-hour trauma dump from each of us in your mailboxes. And we recorded the first two episodes of Jays of Our Lives. We're talking about Eric Hinsky this week on that show. Uh, it was a ton of fun. That is patreon.com slash less than Jays. We have a tier goal set up when we get three more Patreon subs. I am doing a dashboard fast food review and we're going to have uh, the subs vote on which food I get although I really want to lean the voting towards the Arby's Ruben I think it's the perfect piece <laughs> to start this thing off with uh, just my opinion what do I know that is patreon.com slash less than Jay's Jake do you have anything else to say before we go um, no I don't uh, I hope there's more transactions because they make me happy hell yes couldn't agree more that is it thank you so much for listening to less than Jay's 